I've gone through so much suffering. Where was God when all that was happening? Mm-hmm. How can I trust him if he was there the whole time? Where did the suffering come from? It came from people who said, I don't like God's way. I'm going to do it my way. God says, trust me to define the big things, what's good, right, true, beautiful, real, and it'll be good. We'll work together and we'll do good in the world. We say, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out for myself. And we just don't have the perspective to do that. So we do things that seem wise in our eyes and they blow up. What's up, everybody? Hey. We're here for an incredible game. You are in for a treat. One of the best men that I know and one of the, the hands-down best teacher I know, Dr. Gary Bashirs is in the house. Let's just give it up for <laughs> Dr. Gary. What, am I sucking up? Because today is the last day of my master's program, the two years that I've been with you. I say the last day, even though it's a three-year program. Yeah, you got another year, but not with me. Yeah. <laughs> I joined the program because of you, because I heard it was your last cohort that you would ever be teaching. That's yeah, why I joined. But it's not true. I know. Yeah. Somebody lied to you, but it wasn't me. I made it two years. Two out of three isn't bad. All right. So Doctrine is a book that I read years ago when it first came out that you wrote and I loved. Um, And this is the new 10-year limited edition revision. You want to add anything to this for those that are looking to help make faith uncomplicated? Uh, Mark Driscoll and I wrote that together in 2010. And it was, uh, it's a basic theology book that answers real questions for real people who are trying to get the uncomplicated answers. Right. You can get fat books that get complicated. This is not it. Right. It's trying to make it as clear as possible for ordinary people. And frankly, I think we did a good job on it. And the 10th anniversary edition is even better. I didn't think you needed a new anniversary edition. We did. Yeah. There were some, there were some errors that were my errors. So we got to correct some of those and some of Mark's errors. And then questions change. For example, you know, like the whole trans thing was not even an issue in 2010. It is now. And that's in the book. I actually don't know whether that's in there or not. I don't know. Well, we have a podcast on it. I have a friend who's yeah. a transgender who, who actually came on the podcast a few months ago, so you can check that out on the channel if that's a question or if that's become something that's complicated in, yep. in your life. But I want to say one thing before we get to these questions. Yeah. You went back and you said there were some errors and then you fixed yeah. them. And isn't that the kind of posture that we want from a Bible teacher? Somebody to say, hey, I don't have it all figured out. And in humility, I'm just going to, kind of go back and I'm not going to stand there and say that I got it right the first time. And I love that. I love your heart. I love the way you teach. There's a lot to learn. I love that. Um, I don't have, I almost have straight A's. You gave me a couple B's. I can't talk about that. Okay, I'm right. bound by federal law not to talk about what a schnuck you are. <laughs> I love how I'm blaming you for my grades. I love how I'm blaming you. You gave me a couple of B's. What happened? Yeah. Okay. So let's get into these questions here. Okay. Why should I believe in God? Here we go. When evolution explains creation. Oh, so who's asking hmm. this kind of question? Well, uh, there are several people who ask this question in my experience. One is somebody that's heard that the only possible biblical answer is God created the universe by just direct speech. Sun, boom, let there be sun. And there was instant creation by God's word. And the entire universe is less than 10,000 years old. Mm. It's called young earth creationism. And that's a common teaching in the church. Would you say that's the, the, the major, like the most common teaching? No. No? It's a major teaching. Okay. Uh, it's a particular view. And it's, uh, but it's represented many times as this is what Christians believe. And there are certainly sincere Christians who do it. Answers in Genesis. I've got a number of friends in the organization. I've got a number of people deeply committed to young earth creationism. And frankly, it's quite possible. God could have said, boom, and just spoken a universe into existence, 
And then if you try to explain it through some sort of evolutionary development, it would look like it's 13 billion years old. Mm. So let's just say, for example, I'm God for a minute. Is that okay? okay? Um, I'm, I'm, for about 14 seconds. I'm not seconds. comfortable with yeah, it. Okay. But <laughs> and I just speak, Justice Coleman, boom. And suddenly you're sitting there and somebody says, well, I know where people came from. He looks like a about 40-year-old man to me. So Whoa, he must be 40? 40 40, I'm not 40 years old. I, I, what is going on today? <laughs> Sheesh. And right. so I assume that you got born somewhere and all that kind of stuff, and you were a rascally little two-year-old, that kind of stuff. But it's not true. I just created you as Justice Coleman sitting there right now. And what you're saying is my body would, you, it would speak to this this 38 years of, yeah, okay. of evolution years would yeah, be it close. present. It was close. It was close. Though. Come on, give me a little break here, Justice. Okay, all right. <laughs> The, so that's the thing. The assumption you bring, if God did create a fully developed universe with tree rings and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, which is possible, mm-hmm. uh, then you would assume, you would look at it and didn't know that you'd think it was 13.8 billion years old. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. My view has always been that the Bible, Genesis 1, says God created the universe, and that's that's something all Christians believe God is a creator of heaven right. and earth. How he created, however, is not explicitly in scripture. Mm-hmm. So uh, my undergraduate uh, heart in university was astrophysics. Interesting. Yeah. I major in math, master in, minor in astrophysics. And wow. had it not been 1968 when I graduated from university and a thing called Vietnam war going on, I would have done a master's degree in astrophysics probably. Uh, but I didn't have that opportunity. I have a lifelong fascination with all things science. I scientific. think there's a lot of guys out there who are going to get bachelors in astrophysics and, sure. and they became pastors. I think Absolutely. I think that hap- that's, a, that's a familiar <laughs> story. Thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Was going to be an astrophysicist <laughs> beside a pastor <laughs> church. <laughs> but when I look at that, and I was trying to get some of this figured out as an 18-year-old scientifically oriented kid and also a committed Christian at that point, I, I looked and said, hmm, doesn't say how God did this. Mm. Could he have used uh, evolution uh, process to accomplish his creation? My answer is, well, of course he could. Did he's a different question, but could he? I still believe to this day God could have used evolutionary process over 13.8 billion years, and that's the way he created. Uh, now, here's the thing I'd just bring in, and this is, this is the other kind of thing. The person who's committed to the idea that evolution... Uh, explains everything. Right. The fact is it doesn't. Right. The simple fact is it does not do it. Pretty sure it's still referred to as a theory about evolution. Well, theories are different levels. But the thing of it is, if you're following the scientific stuff, and I follow it at a non-professional level, more and more, the thing of it is, there are more and more top-level scientists who are saying, you know, this stuff doesn't work. Mm. Uh, In astrophysics, for example... Uh, I mean, I won't go into all the details here, but what we discovered, well, the Big Bang, boom, you know, it's expanding because of the bang. Well, gravity slows the bang down. And the question is, how much stuff is there that gravity slows it down? Because if there's not too much stuff, then it expands forever, and you've got a beginning, a Big Bang, and the universe ends up dark and dead. Another theory that was very popular when I was doing my work is what I call the oscillating universe. There's enough material that goes bang, and the gravity slows it. Bang, bang. Interesting. 
on an Austin I universe. Never heard of that. Yeah, well, it's not around anymore. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a theory that didn't work, uh, but it was. They tried it out back in the sixties and seventies and eighties, and it just failed because there's not enough mass in the universe to cause the universe to stop expanding. Okay, throw that theory out. But then what happened in the 1990s, they discovered a bizarre thing. You know, the Big Bang with gravity slowing it down, it's actually, the rate of expansion is increasing, not decreasing. Ever expanding and getting faster and faster. It's expanding faster and faster. Like what in the world? Now, it's non-technical, but the bang gives us a start to it. But what's causing it to expand now? And the current thing is, in the current model of the universe, 96% of the stuff we need for the theory to work is completely unobservable. Mm. 96% of what we need for the current theory of the origin of the universe is completely unobservable. It has to be there for our theory to work. It's hard to do science without observing. You know what it sounds like to me? If you go back to the history of science, there was a thing in the late 1800s called the ether theory. The universe is full of ether, and that's where waves was waves in the ether. And they tried really hard to say that it didn't work. In the early part of the 20th century, uh, sorry, 20, yeah, get the numbers right. Yeah, part of the 20th century, they came along with, you know, neutrons and protons and all that sort of stuff, wavicles, and we threw away ether. I personally think the current theory is in desperate trouble, and I don't, I mean, a lot of top-level scientists saying this, you know, this stuff doesn't work, but we don't have anything to replace it. It doesn't explain it. It really doesn't. So my favorite thing is, speaking biologically, does life ever come from non-life? That's a question. It's a, well, it's a, it's a biologically answerable question. Go to your favorite biologist, any of them, and say, does life ever come from non-life? They're have you no. ever, ever seen any time where life came from non-life, an experimental thing. And they'll say, nope, nope. Mm. Life always comes from life. Okay, so where'd the first life come from? Well, it just happened. But you just said biology says it doesn't just happen. Mm. I mean, this is an obvious issue. It explains everything. It doesn't explain where life came from. Mm. Uh, I was, <laughs> a friend of mine who's deeply committed to evolution as an explanation said, oh, there's great stuff being working on biogenesis. Ah, bio means life from non-life. Ah, biogenesis. Ah, bio. So ah, bio means no life, beginning of life. Not og, not augmented. Og, A-B-I-O, ah, biogenesis. And there's a guy at Portland State University and who's leading in research in this stuff. Okay, great. Any, any chance I can go talk to him? No, probably not. He's busy. Well, he was doing a lecture. So this guy snuck me in the back door to hear this <laughs> lecture. And it was amazing lecture, three hours long. And I was listening, taking notes. I've still got the notes. And when I got done, I walked out and I said, you know, John, that was great. Thank you for breaking me in here. And we didn't even get arrested for breaking into this thing. <laughs> but you know what? I'm even more committed to the idea that you can't explain it that way because what he did is all the problems in genetics, and he proved to me without any doubt that life never comes non-life. Mm. And John was really mad because he knew what I said was right. The science is saying life never comes from non-life, but for Darwinian evolution to work, life has to come from non-life at least once. It doesn't explain. Now, you know, does COVID virus mutate? Well, duh, of course it does. Nobody debates that. But does life come from non-life? And there's a whole bunch of things like that. My thing is, speaking as from a scientific perspective, 
there's a whole lot of problems with the evolutionary explanation. I just want people to admit that they're there. What do I tell my son who's 12 years old who's learning about this? My son who's eight years old. What do I, what do I tell them as they are looking at, at, um, at this as an explanation? Because you started off this topic with, hey, if you have the faith to believe it, there's room. Yeah. But personally, yeah. you don't see it. Well, can God use evolutionary process to create? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, there are people who disagree with me, but I think right. I'm right. Could God create by using evolutionary process? Yeah. I, oh, God says he spoke it into existence. Well, that's not exactly a scientific statement in Genesis mm-hmm. 1. It's a why did we do this kind of thing. It's not really a science. It's not book. science at all. <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> uh, I mean, anyway, so could he do it? Yeah, absolutely. I have no problem whatsoever with what's called evolutionary creationism. Mm-hmm. God created by using evolutionary process. Now the question is a scientific question. Is that the best explanation? And when I look at it from my perspective, uh, well, there's a, there's a favorite book of mine was written back in the 1980s called Evolution, a Theory and Crisis, written by an atheist. Uh, Interesting. Had, yeah. And then he wrote another version of that, came out about 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, called Evolution, a, Theor- a Theory Still in Crisis, mm. which updated it. And all he's doing as a, as a, a scientist with integrity saying, guys, there are some real problems in this thing. We don't know how to answer it. It doesn't say we can't answer them. It just says we don't have it yet. Let's admit the problems. Yeah. And so that's what I want people to do. So your 12-year-old son, what I would do is I would have him look at some of the less technical things. Here are the difficulties with evolution. Because he loves science. Yeah, He's absolutely. in honors classes look right at now. It. He's sharp. Yeah. Well, evolution, a theory, and crisis. Okay. I mean, it's... it's uh, it, uh, a, a, Sharp 12-year-old could read it. Uh, but just admit the problems to it. It's like the universe creationist. You know, well, Genesis 1 says this. It's got to be less than 10,000 years old. Well, let's actually look at it and see and look at some of the difficulties in what you're saying. We, there's stuff we don't know. And let's quit locking in this is the only possibility, it seems to me. But then look at the realities because science tries to use scientific language to explain things that it actually doesn't explain. Look, science is about experiments that show process and possibility. And the thing of it is, when you look at the formation of life, there is no process that anybody knows where life comes from non-life, period. The, a lot of people take Genesis, which is yeah. a poem, correct? No, it's not a poem. It's a narrative, but it's a rhythmic narrative. A literary genre, it's a narrative. It's a rhythmic narrative. Psalm 104 is a poem. Okay. So there's this rhythmic narrative. Yeah. And in the original language, words are in stanzas, right? And yeah. they, they, they It's a match. rhythmic narrative. Yeah. And yeah. this was probably because it was before written language passed down generationally? Uh, we don't know when they started writing, but it's still passed down whether it's written or orally. And so the heart, the point of Genesis, right, was yeah. to talk about the creator God yeah. and his intention for the world yeah. that he made. Not a science tech. The point was never to explain how. It was there to explain is who. no <laughs> scientific detail of any kind in that narrative. It's if just I remember correctly, the sun, the sun isn't created. The, I believe in, in the story, the sun's created after light is created. Oh, yeah. And so that you know, if you want to get if you want to get down to the bones of it, you probably want to cr- you probably create the sun and then light. Well, actually, the bigger problem is evening and morning. Okay, because you can have light without the sun. 
Okay. Without question, you can have light without the sun. But you can't have... You can't have evening and right. morning in normal meanings of the term. And day one, you've got evening and morning. Day two, you've got evening and morning. Day three, you've got evening and morning. And day four, you've got the sun being created according to young earth creationism. Right, right, right. That's right, a problem. Right, right. I'm not saying it's an unsolvable problem. Just admit it's a problem. Right. You can't have evening without a sun. Right. It's important, I think, to the psyche of yeah. somebody who's trying to find God or trying to... Exp- understand God, right. an actual genuine seeker. It's so important to understand that you were created by a yes. personal God who and, wants you here. Yeah. And see, that's the heart of it. And evolution always has a connotation of there's no God involved. Right. You're just the product of random application of presently operating natural law. And actually everything you do is determined by natural law. There's no such thing as free will and there's no point to your life and you count for nothing. Right, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you you live for a while and you die and you become you know worm food. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, really, it's heartbreaking. And the narrative we have as Christians is a God who is compassionate and gracious and faithful and loving, Mm. forgiving and helpful and ordering and all those kinds of things. Who created us for a purpose, and when we join Him in that purpose, it is full of joy and hope. And there's reason in the world, and there's an evil being called the devil, and we're trying to overcome him with good. And let's get on that mission, go to broken and, and destroyed and people, and bring hope and healing into their life. That's Preach. a great purpose. Preach. Well, I'm a preacher. It's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And, the, and that's my big problem with the evolutionary view is nobody can live it. I yeah. tried that. I kicked off Christianity when I was 14 years old because I was scientific, and I said, okay, uh, I found a verse in First Thessalonians, the King James, it says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. I was in geometry class. I was proving everything. This is great. So I went to the leader of my church, and I said, okay, read him the verse. I didn't do it literally, but basically what I did is I read him the verse, and I said, okay, here's the thing. Prove all things. How do you know the Bible's word of God? How do you know Jesus is God? Wait, hold on, hold on. How do you You're know there is a God? 14 years old. 14 years old. You go to the pastor of your church? Yeah. And and you're just yeah, how do you prove it? You're basically saying no. I just yeah. I just the Bible was, says prove it, so you prove it. Yeah. What your pastor say? Five. Well, he said nice Christian boys don't ask questions. Like that. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so and you left? Not in so many words. No, I stayed in the church. That was my social center. I just okay. stopped being Christian. Started doing negative evangelism, talking to other kids out of their Christianity. Oh my! And I was gosh. quite effective at it. Oh my gosh! Yeah. But then I had to find an answer for why live. Because I'm a very intense person. You and I have that in common. Oh, I'm intense? Uh, You're yeah. an eight on the Enneagram. I think I'm a three. Uh, I'm intense, and I'll, I'll put you down as intense right. maybe in a yeah, different most way. Most people think I'm an eight yeah. on the Enneagram. But anyways. I, so I had to find a reason to live. Yeah. And the more I tried out theories, the more I found out I had to be God, and the more I realized I was not up to job description. And I was in despair and probably headed to suicide. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. God invaded my life again and said, Hello. In effect, Kathy, how did he invade your life again? I got a new pastor in our church. His daughter, Kathy Thompson, you're younger than I, first intelligent Christian I'd met, period. And so I tried my questions on her. Instead of eek and running away, she engaged but couldn't really handle, you know. And so she turned me on to her dad, Roger Thompson, and he turned me on to C.S. Lewis. Mm mere Christianity, and I said, okay, this guy's wrestling brilliantly yeah. with the questions I'm wrestling with. Yeah. 
what's the purpose of man and those kinds of things. Huh. So I said, maybe there's something there. And so I sat, I literally said, okay, God, if you're there, I need to hear from you. And I went to primary documents, which I did in all the different religions and worldviews I was looking at. So the primary documents of Christianity, the How Gospels. How old were you at this point? At that point, I was 17. So from 14 to 17 were some dark, some dark oh, years. Oh, very dark. You said possibly headed towards suicide. I, I was seriously considering it. Still going to church because you said it was your social yep. center, but yep. you're, 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 you're preaching anti. You're, you're I'm doing negative evangelism. <laughs> yeah, negative yeah. evangelism. Yeah, and by that time, most of the youth group was not Christian. So you go to we already oh kicked the sponsors out because we didn't need them. We could run our own group. So you go to Kathy. Kathy turns you on to Roger. Roger turns you on to C.S. Lewis. Yep. You read Mere Christianity, and you see the, an intelligent. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, yep. I mean, Mere Christianity changed my life. Yeah. And that and his his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, and the wine, the Lion, yeah. the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Man, so good. And so I go back to primary documents. It gives me a picture of Jesus, and what I I didn't say it in so many words, but this Jesus is amazing. Why didn't somebody introduce me to him? Oh, wow. Because they're preaching fundamentalist doctrine and that kind of stuff. And I started taking Jesus seriously, and it was absolutely life-transforming. I started I praying, God ta- and God spoke. Nobody told me he didn't, so I just assumed he did, and he did. And I made a deep, radical commitment to Jesus. You, you sensed God speak to you? Uh, he did. What did he say? Uh I was driving in my little Austin Healy Sprite on Rio Grande Boulevard about one o'clock in the morning there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and pondering this stuff there by myself driving down Rio Grande Boulevard. And uh, just all of a sudden, God was present. And I had my own phrasing on it. Okay, you're real. I'll go with you. Wow. You know, my, my phrasing was, if it works, buy it. Mm. And, That's powerful. And it was just the presence of God. I love that you said... During those dark ages, people were turning you on to, you know, who can answer my question? What can I read? I need yeah. to go to documents. But at the end of the day, it really started with Jesus. Yeah. Right? And I, I think yeah. for, for, I think when, when I say God never intended faith to be complicated, that's because how, how more uncomplicated can you get than just God coming to earth and just showing you himself? Yeah. This is what love, you want to know what love looks like? This is what love looks yeah. like. You want to know what God looks like? This is what God looks like. You want to know what, what, what you're supposed to do with your life? Here. It's and so it's, uncomplicated. It's the person of Jesus It's basic stories just, that anybody can read yeah. with understanding. Now, the depth goes forever, but the stories are really simple. He turned to a blind man and said, be healed. And the blind man could see and all that kind of stuff. It just, it's right there. Could God create a universe using evolution? Absolutely. Did he? Different question. So why should I believe in a God when evolution explains that creation? That's kind of a, that's not really the right, I mean, that you got to, you can't really, that question doesn't really. Well, the problem is evolution doesn't explain the basic questions. Right. Uh, it's a scientific process, and it actually is a theory in crisis. Uh, and God can absolutely use evolutionary process to do his creative work. So the conflict not isn't conflict. there. There's think, not a right. conflict between the two necessarily. What what would be a, what would be a recommended? Re- By the way, I didn't know you had such a passion for astrophysics. Now I realize why you made me watch all those science videos and cl- <laughs> so much science homework. Now I get it. Yeah. Remember all those videos with the other guy that you interviewed that we had to watch where you were talking about young Earth and and uh, you're talking about um, this isn't the first time I've heard it, but the uh, the the ten thousand years ago the Homo erectus versus Homo sapien and. All that stuff with 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 maybe maybe God didn't make the first man, uh, or maybe maybe the first man maybe Adam means mankind, and so maybe there was multiple 
human, almost humans, and then God took one of the almost humans and he breathed into him to make yeah. him human? I mean, talk that's, about that for a well, second. Well, it's John Walton's view. I don't think it's the right view, but okay. it's, it's his view. Is there, you know, maybe 20,000 kind of humans, and God picks one of them, Adam, and makes him the priest for all the rest of them, and it's an evolutionary process of the formation of human beings. Uh, I don't think that's correct, uh, because humans are so completely distinct from any prior species, I think there has to be special creation involved to get a true human. Because the closest non-human thing is so far removed from human. I think God created Adam. And uh, how do you do that? Well, it says dust plus breath in Genesis 2. Could be. Mm-hmm. That could be something that's narrative for some more complicated process. Mm-hmm. But there are two original human beings, Adam and Eve, and... They are the ones that we need to follow on the mission that God gave them originally, which is to bring good into the world. Mm. Uh, so how he did it, Scripture doesn't say in scientific detail, because I don't. I think we can get that other ways. I had a guy come to me at church the other day. He was new. And I, I get this sometimes, this question at church. Like, if you answer this question wrong, I'm never coming back again. <laughs> I've heard that a number of I times. I think you've already got your mind made up. Don't waste, don't yeah. waste my time or I'm yours. I'm like, what'd you say your name was again? Nice to meet you, John. Um, I remember this guy said this to me, and he was asking this question yeah, about evolution. And if, you know, it's almost like if I believe in evolution, uh, you know, or if I believe in a young earth or whatever it was, and I said, can we, I mean, is there room for you to believe that there is a creator and then that's the most important part of this thing? Yeah. And how creation happened might not necessarily be the important thing to answer. It's if he is a creator who put who started this thing on purpose and has a heart for mankind in the world. Yep. That's the key. He's more than a creator. He's a covenant partner, God, who's compassionate, gracious, and caring and those things. And awesome and wonderful yeah. and the best. Who then comes into this broken world yeah. uh, to be redeemer. Those are the things that really count. So if somebody I never saw to, him again, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys like that. God yeah. bless you, John or yeah. Frank or whatever your yeah. name was. I, I knew I knew going into it, I, I try to answer it that, you know, for some something obviously in him, he had had some sort of experience where, you know, some yeah. at some church or something and he was probably protecting himself going into a new church, you know what I mean? Probably didn't want to be either be stuck in some, you know, dogmatic teaching or maybe had already I don't know what it was, but we all have those kinds of things. Yeah. See, back in the day when I was doing some of this and rejected Christianity, it was okay, let me find out if you are faithful. Do you believe in the preacher of rapture? <laughs> and I mean, that was the test. And uh, and if you didn't answer it right, okay, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm out of here. Kind oh, of stuff. Well, I mean, that's just stupid. Uh, well, thanks for adding your testimony to your journey too, yeah. because somebody who um, deeply scientifically, you know, minded. I mean, it's got to be. It's it's got to be. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's more challenging for intellectuals and their faith. I think it's more fun for intellectuals and their faith. Some of the. Uh, I'll just give you one reference for somebody who wants to go take a kind of a deep dive, but mm-hmm. a good dive. Alvin Plantinga. Okay. Uh, is a He's, he's past president of the American Philosophical Society, taught at Notre Dame, uh, another, but a brilliant, brilliant man, and widely recognized as a top philosopher, committed Christian. I don't remember the name of the book off the top of my head, but Alvin Plantinga, like planting a garden. Okay, Plantinga. And uh, his book is just a, uh, he's looking at that whole area, 
And in his book, in his footnotes, you can follow the trail as long as you want to go. And what he's making is the point that actually the thesis of God is more, let's say it this way, it's less complicated than any other possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the others, let's just admit they've got extreme difficulties. So that's a good starting point. And he'll talk into all kinds of stuff. You can go a deep dive at that spot. Or you can email me at, G. Brashears at westernseminary.edu and I'll there give you a bunch of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we both agree that no matter how you want to explain the world, um, as, as far as your own sense of self-esteem and self-worth, yeah. when any other, any other belief other than God loves you, wants you, and puts you here, yep. that's going to change the way you see yourself. Yeah. If God cares and wants to be redeeming presence in my life, yeah. that is unique to the Christian world. It is. Uh, if I just take something, you know, do I believe in human rights? And Americans, we all say we believe in human rights. The only basis for universal human rights is that God created us in the image of God. Right, because it's sacred. Yeah. And if that's not true, let's kill the people we don't like because they're lesser humans anyway. All right, we've got time for us one last question here. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, this is a simple one. This is a simple totally. one. Uh, they're if all God simple, is so loving... <laughs> If God is so loving, okay. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Uh, Hands down, number one question I get. I can't believe in your God because the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and if there was a loving God, like you say, he would do something about it. How how I, this week I was talking to somebody. I'm having a hard time. At the end of your service, Justice, you invite us to put our faith in Jesus, right. and I want to do it. This is what he tells me. He tells me this last night. He goes, but I've gone through so much suffering. Where was God when all that was happening? Mm-hmm. How can I trust him if he was there the whole time? Well, you just said something really important. He's there the whole time. Right. That's a different kind of God than mo- most people put in the God box. Uh, but the uncomplicated answer is where did the suffering come from? It came from people who said, I don't like God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And the first being to do that we call the devil. And we don't know his story. We know what he's up to. But in the heavenly realm, somewhere among the angelic beings, there apparently was a high-level angel uh, we call the devil or Satan uh, who said, I don't want to serve God. I want to be God, and I'll do it my way. And that's what happened in the, in the fall story in Genesis chapter 3. God said, don't eat that tree. It's a dangerous tree. Don't eat it. It will kill you. And the serpent came along and said, uh, why don't you just check it out for yourself? And Eve looked at the tree and said, huh, good for food, pleasant the eyes. It's just like the other trees, and it'll make me wise. And God wants me to grow up and make my own decisions. Don't be a dependent kid. Be a, a wise adult. So she ate it, and it blew everything up. And see, that's the thing. God says, trust me to define the big things, what's good, right, true, beautiful, real and it'll be good. We'll work together and we'll do good in the world. We say, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out for myself. And we just don't have the perspective to do that. So we do things that seem wise in our eyes, and they blow up. Or we act like the devil and say, I want to be God. Well, <laughs> nobody would do that. <laughs> I'm going to do things my own we way. We don't know anybody who wants to be God of their own world, do we? <laughs> Total sarcasm. I was talking to a friend the other day. He, he was. Uh, 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 the short version is, he was saying, you know, I said, so let me get this straight. The car that you drive is this expensive car. It's so that you can get people to look at you. 
and and worship you. He's like, well, yeah. I was like, and the cr- and I just I just going through all these things in his life that were just about him, you yeah. know. At the end of the day, I was like, so when you say you don't have you don't believe in God, I said it's not that you don't believe in God. It's just that you think you're God and you want to act like him. And yeah. he was like, <gasps> I was like, yeah. I'm like, your life exists to give yourself glory. There you go. And he was like, shoot. And I led him to Christ. Amen. Yeah, because he was like, <laughs> I don't want to be God, you know? Yeah, well, that's a uh, but, good choice. But, it, you know, we, we, we yeah. are kind of more like the devil sometimes than even Eve in yeah. those in the story is that exactly we right. want to do things our own way. Yeah. You said when I asked that question, though, that, you know, you know about, whole, about the suffering where it comes from, right. I think is the assumption that the suffering comes from God, but really the uh, suffering comes from the effects of sin. Here's the syllogism. It goes, I don't know where it goes back. Locke was famous for it. Uh, God is loving, God is powerful, evil exists. God is loving means he cares. God is powerful means he can do whatever he wants. Evil exists. Those three are incompatible. But see, that does not explain the universe because it's only one will. God, God, evil. We've got to bring in at least one more will, Mm -hmm. and that's the devil. God is good, yep. God is loving, yes, God is powerful, yes. The devil's there, and he has free will, and he hates God. That's where suffering comes from. And so what is God doing? He is destroying the works of the devil, and this is where it gets complicated, sorry, uh, is destroying evil. There's two ways to do it. One is to nuke the place. Mm -hmm. That destroys evil, but it destroys everything else out too. Mm -hmm. Or is to come in and be redemptive, Mm -hmm. doing good in the context of evil. That's what God is doing. Right. And we want him to come and nuke the place. Right. The problem is, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> and if he nukes the place, he nukes me. Yeah. I don't want him to nuke me. I want him to knock you know, that bad guy over there yeah. making life hard. Never for mind him. that I've hurt so many people. The people that hurt me need to answer exactly. for what they did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I want him to nuke the bad guys, and I define who's the bad guy. Is. Right. And if he nukes the bad guys, I get nuked. Right. If he redeems the bad guys, then there's hope. But I've got to admit I need help. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that means i got to have a bit of humility. Uh, and that's so, so where does suffering come from? It comes that I want to nuke you because I don't like you. And that's not the way to do things. So well, what do you say to my friend who, who has a hard time trusting God because he's, he's, been, he's, he's gone through so much suffering in his life and he feels like God left him there by himself? Uh, we have to go back and hear that particular story and what is there. Because many times what happens is a serpent is saying, God really loved you. He wouldn't let you go through that. Right. And the fact of it is, is God desperately wanted him not to go through that, and he demanded to do it anyway. Mm. Or maybe it's somebody who's an abuser. I was I just think thinking if, that, yeah. I th- you know, my adopted daughter spent a long time, and I just say she grew up in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've listened to many times her nightmares and that kind of stuff of what happened to her when she was a little girl. And uh, she's a fervent Jesus follower now. But the evil in her life was because evil people in her life uh, refused the way of God. As a little girl, she didn't have any choice in the matter. And uh, where was God in that? Well, I've taken her back, and we discovered God was there with her in those processes. And the question is, God, if you're there, why didn't you stop it? Right. And that's a very real question. And the only answer I can give you is the only way God can stop a truly evil person is to nuke them. Mm. One of her brothers, not the one ones who hurt her, but another brother is also a fervent Jesus follower now. Uh, and 
you know, I look at that, and if God were to nuke the world, just stop the evil, and if he did it 30 years ago, both my daughter and her brother would be in hell because they were evil doers at that spot. Neither one had met Jesus at that point. God's agenda is to redeem, but there will come a day of judgment. But frankly, I'm glad he redeemed me before the day of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, there's some other people I want to do the judgment right now because right. they're really bad guys, including the people who hurt my daughter. But see, that's the conundrum. And the best answer we can give is people rebelled against the goodness of God because they want to do their own way, and they in, in, actually enjoy causing pain. Yeah. And for God to deal with that, he can either nuke them or he can redeem them. Mm. And I, I, I have had... I can't tell you how many times I have absolutely demanded God. You, Isaiah 63, oh, that you rend the heavens, oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down, mm. which is, I won't be as crass as I would be if I were off the air, but get your blanket back down here and do something, God. Yeah. And done angrily because I see the evil. It's what Habakkuk does when he looks at the evil. And we can't look at evil without having pain and anger because it's so evil. Right. And God says, I'm going to do good. Now, there'll be judgment. There'll be days when he does nuke things. But his agenda is to redeem it, not kill it. I think that's so inefficient. God, help us help us understand why redemption is better. Uh, frankly, you and I are here right. talking to each other because we're both products of redemption. If I would have gotten a car accident at 18, 19, I was a, I was a hellraiser. Yeah. I don't know what I, I don't. I'm pretty confident yeah. I wouldn't. I didn't know Christ. And for me, I look at my daughter, Cindy, yeah. who, you know, she was not a Jesus follower until she was an adult. Uh, and if God would have nuked her as a really, really bad kid, you know, she'd be in hell. And I'm very, very glad that she's my daughter. Super proud of her. She's an amazing woman. Still dealing with a lot of trauma from her childhood, but she's a daughter and we love each other. And, you know, the redemption, I look at her and many others. Me, when is headed towards suicide and despair, God instead said, okay, jump off the cliff, kid. Mm. He said, there's a better way. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm your daughter, my faith in God is so much stronger because he sends a dad into my life. Yeah. Right, so... No, so I'm he, not dad, I'm pops. Pops. She, he Dad's pops. the one who hurt her. Right. Yeah. So I have a friend who, um, I remember she she was... Uh, she was Anyways, I'm not getting into the story, but about to go through the hardest time of her life. Yeah. And then she can look and see the redemptive work of God yeah. post this crisis. Yeah. And then you kind of get this 2020 view in hindsight. But for like my friend right now, he's like, listen, you want me to trust this God who has let all this stuff happen to me? Before we conclude, would you just, would you look at that camera? And would you just pray for that person yeah. who just yeah. says, hey, I'm having a hard time trusting God because I felt like he wasn't there and it's taking more faith than maybe the average person to trust a God after, yeah. after me going through so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, let me say one thing before I pray. Okay. And that is the fact that the God who let this happen is the God who came into this universe mm. in the person of Jesus mm. and took its worst. Mm. Now, this is God who comes in and becomes a refugee in Egypt with all the stuff that comes in with and he goes back to Nazareth, and he's bullied by the boys on the playground for being who he is. 
They bullied to, him on the as, uh, the bu- it was in the playground yeah. bullied Jesus because they thought his mom yeah was she was un, she was not married when he was born in a place that makes him a bastard right and that wasn't just a word it was a it, it was a dishonoring shameful thing and they would throw at him all the time we see so it in the Bible Jesus enters human history yeah. and then is raised unshamed yeah he's a refugee in yeah. Egypt yeah I mean this was he, he came under the Jerusalem conditions and yeah. he gets beat up by the high priest's guards and. They take him in the back room and just beat him to a bloody pulp. Not to mention when and then he, he gets was, crucified. Not to mention when he when he was teaching, his yeah. own family turned their back yeah. on him. Yeah, I mean, he lost family. He and lost his best friend. He was betrayed by his yeah. closest. He and grew up in the hardest is, circumstances. I can't trust a God who's doing nothing about it. This is God who's doing something about it. Come on. And so that's the thing. God isn't doing anything. Now, that does not explain why a little girl gets beat up by her family. Right. The way, I mean, that does not explain it. But the idea God is doing nothing fails when you look at Jesus. Mm. And see, that's the thing is I hate evil. Right. And it makes me so angry. So your friend, I am absolutely with him. God, get down here and do something. And he says, well, first of all, I want you to help me do it. And second of all, I am doing a lot. You just wow. don't see it because I work behind the curtain. I'm working the night shift when mm. you're asleep. But the thing is, I'm wanting you to work with me to do good and take the beaten up kids into your home maybe or whatever and help them find redemption. He redeems us and then invites us into this ministry yes. of redemption. Yes. He, 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 yes. He, 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 yes. He doesn't just make us, uh, doesn't just turn us from an enemy into a friend he turns us into a son he turns yes. into a daughter and then he puts yeah. us in a fa- he puts us in the plan of yeah. redemption yeah so it's it's yeah. he brings purpose into yeah. our life he doesn't waste the pain exactly yeah now i'll pray <laughs> <laughs> i love when you preach yeah if you just look at the camera and just yeah. pray for the anybody yeah. out there writing yeah. this question i mean yeah. think about who writes this question gary they're saying if god's so loving why is there so much suffering yeah. that's a personal question yeah it's very yeah again these have names lord i just pray for I don't know a name, but I've got names I could put in there because I know people that mm. is their question and they hate God because he let it happen. Mm. Father, I just thank you for being God who doesn't push flush mm. on the person I'm praying for right now. Mm. That you just don't walk away from that person, but you stay present when they're so angry they are spitting at you. They're so hurt that they won't even look. Father, thank you that you are compassionate toward the horrors. Thank you that you're helpful to the hurting. Thank you that you don't just walk away, but that you're doing good in those lives. And I pray for this person I'm thinking of right now. Will you speak in your gentle way to help them see the power of redemption? Help them see that the work of redemption they've done that you've done in their lives. And if they haven't done it yet, help them see somebody like Cindy where there is that redemption. And then ask you, Lord, I'm angry at you. I hate what's happening right now. But if you're there and you're Redeemer, I need your redemption. Help me see it. Holy Spirit, do your work in that life because you are the Redeemer. You are the healer. You are the friend of the helpless mm. but there's so much evil there's so much evil and it's so awful let us never be comfortable with evil and we hate it 
but we pray your redemption, your healing, your hope, your forgiveness. But Lord, I also pray for those who will not receive your redemption. I'm glad that they'll be separated from human torment because they deserve it. But you took our torment and our place in Jesus Christ, and it's his name I pray hope and healing for these people. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming all the way from Portland to spend this time with us and answer some of the toughest questions we've had coming on this podcast. It was a tough, suffering thing to ride in first class on the way down. (laughs) (laughs) We love you so much. Thanks, guys.